0: back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob and this is episode 60, The Suavey in Spain. So I decided to check out Apple, see how we were doing on their website, and it looks like you guys have all submitted 25 reviews, most of those five stars. I want to thank you so much for that support. Uh, if you haven't yet, please go leave us a review on the Apple podcast store Uh, that helps spread the word about the show and gets us a little bit more viewing. Also, we're getting close to Christmas. Uh, I think it's time to mention that there are some perfect Christmas gifts in our shop. So just go check out our website, www.podcastsongermany.com and you'll be able to find the shop from there. We got two original designs for you to choose from for a shirt to a mouse pad, to a coffee mug, what have you. Basically, if they can put the logo on it, you'll find it there on the store. So please, go check it out. All right, we are done with North Africa. Now we're moving on to Spain. And today is gonna to be another isolated episode because we're gonna deal with the Swaby who really don't interact with anyone outside of Spain. So we're gonna talk about them for a bit. Next episode, we will have to look at the bigger picture again because we're going to go back to the Visigoths who are in Spain, and Gaul. They're dealing with problems in Rome. So the Visigoths are going to be a much larger player on the field. But the Suebi, they're really going to be staying in Spain. What was happening last time we talked about Spain? Well, Spain had been under a series of brutal wars for the last couple of decades. In the early 400s, Germanic tribes had crossed the Pyrenees, taking advantage of the civil war happening between Gaul and Britain and Italy. When they were there, they just started to clean house, decimating the local population, taking over areas for themselves, doing whatever they wanted, because the Romans literally couldn't stop them. Then the Visigoths, what we were calling the Goths, now being called the Visigoths, pushed out the Alans and the Vandals after a series of disastrous campaigns in 429. This left only two major tribes in the area, the Swabi and the Visigoths. And the Visigoths, well, they went back up north. So that's the general picture. Where do the Swabi fit into this? Well, the Swabi A part of that original invasion into Spain, causing all that chaos, they had established themselves in the northwest, with Braga, Astoraga, and Lugo as their bases. As such, they were kind of out of the way for the Romans and the Visigoths. They were also considered a smaller of the groups. They only numbered about 25,000 when they initially arrived in Spain. And as such, they kind of kept a lower profile compared to the Vandals and the Alans. Our first mention of them is their crossing in 406 uh, at that special New Year's crossing into Gaul as the Goths and the Romans are busy dealing with each other in Italy. And then being able to sneak across into Spain in 409 as the Civil War is continuing to drag on. Now, the Suebi, while they were doing their looting and pillaging just as their neighbors, actually started to keep their heads down, especially as it became clear that the Visigoths and the Romans were coming to terms and that the civil war, that breaking out between Gaul and Italy, was calming down. Part of this was also because of their smaller population and knowing that if they continuously stir up trouble, the local population might just overthrow them on their own but the Swabi could read the room and decided to play it kind of low-key. And so when the Visigoths and the Romans show up once more into Spain in the 420s, well, the Swabi are just not an issue. Keeping to their domains in the far northwest of Spain and Portugal, they stayed out of sight and allowed the Romans to attempt to establish dominance once more in the region. As part of keeping their peace, we are told by Hidaitis that the Swabi were interested in only maintaining good relations in the first few decades, and that many were turning their swords into plows. Idaius uh, is the main source for the Swaby. Uh, he is born in modern-day Galicia in the year 400. Uh, he becomes the bishop of northern Portugal. He traveled to Jerusalem as a child. He came back to Spain as a die-hard, loyal Catholic, and... Rose up through the church. Now, because he spends the majority of his life in northern Portugal during this time period, he sees the Suevi in its glory and in its downfall from within. He's not looking at it from without, he is within this empire this entire time. Now, he has several issues with the Suevi that we are going to have to keep in mind as we continue this episode. First of all, the Suevi are not Romans. That's going to be a big issue for Hidatus. He is a Roman through and through. Even though he's not born in Italy, he sees himself as part of the Roman Empire. The Suave are also not true Catholics. The majority of their time in the 400s, they will not be Catholics. So that's also going to be a big issue for Hydatus, who is a bishop of the Catholic Church. He writes this chronicle, and this has become our best source of information for what was happening in Spain, and what life was like under the Swavy. This chronicle came out in the year 470, and basically it's what I'm pulling a lot of this information from for this episode. It is not an easy source to get access to, but I was able to get some access to it. Okay, sorry for taking us on that little side trail. I just wanted to let you know where this information was coming from and why we should always be careful about it. So, Swavy. they have established up in northwest Spain, and they're keeping their heads low for the first few decades after they've done so. And then they realize, you know what, it's not enough to just keep our heads low. We're going to have to show the Romans, we're going to have to show the Visigoths that we're not their enemies. In fact, we are valuable allies in the area. As such, they start reaching out to the Romans and the Visigoths and say, Hey, hire us, give us some guarantees, and we'll help you defeat the Vandals. Because at this point, the Vandals are the biggest threat to the Romans' occupation of Spain once more. They come to terms in the year 419, and the Suevi are to draw out the Vandals, and the Romans are to come and crush them. That seems to be the plan. The Suevi, under their king, Hermeric, meets the Vandals, who are currently under the leadership of Gunderic, who we've talked about in the past. And they meet each other at the Battle of Nearbasius Mountains. Now, unbeknown to Gunderek, Hermeric had signed the treaty with Emperor Honoris, giving him the status of a Fodorati. And we'll talk about Fodorati's next episode. Now, this treaty... Giving him this special status within the Roman Empire meant that he had to do his duty and go fight the Vandals. The Vandals thought this was just a regular fight between two warring tribes, not realizing that Homeric had planned this all out in advance with the Romans. The Vandals had the Swavy heavily outnumbered. Uh, This was a poor, poor fight for Homeric to choose if he was fighting by himself. Even with his defensible position in the mountains, the Vandals were able to easily overwhelm his flanks and surround him on all sides, forcing Homeric to sit in his camp and wait. Asterius, at the head of a Roman army, arrived and lifted the siege, saving the Swaby, but failing to destroy the Vandals, as had been the plan. The destruction of the Vandal army would have to be postponed until the next battle, Uh, when a combined Roman and Swabian army was able to pull off a pinching maneuver with a second Roman army under Marcellus, catching up to the retreating Vandals and routing the entire tribe off the field. Now, as we know, the Vandals would not be destroyed by this battle. They would go on and set themselves up for a better life in North Africa. But for the Suevi, this was a very important stepping stone, and it proved to the Romans that they were good allies. Despite the terrible position they had been put in within the mountains, they had stood their ground, they had done what was needed, and had helped the Romans. Now, there would be some fighting over the next decade between the Suevi and the Vandals, but when the Vandals leave in 429, the Suevi are left in control of the region, making them now the second most powerful tribe and third most powerful people in Spain. However, this changes once more when the Visigoths, having done everything the Romans had asked, are allowed to resettle outside of Spain and back into Gaul. We'll deal with that in the next episode. This meant that the Suebi were the most powerful tribe in Spain, and with the Romans' distraction with problems going on elsewhere in the empire basically made them the most powerful people on this peninsula. However, things were not going to go so well for the Suevi's immediate jump to power. Even though they had established themselves within the region beforehand, now that the Romans were back in control, or were supposed to be back in control, the locals had decided that they had enough of these German tribesmen running around. They wanted them all gone. They didn't think that the Vandals and the Alans had been enough. The Swaby had to go as well. And so for the next eight years, from 430 to 438, the Swaby and the locals break out into a civil war. They no longer can trust one another, and they no longer want to work together. The locals clearly upset that the Germans had been left in power under the Romans, and the Swaby just tired of the poor treatment that they were receiving by these said locals. Clear signs of resistance started to show early on in the year 430, as locals started to rebuild and refortify old Iron Hill forts abandoned under the Roman rule, and they refused anything that was coming from what they considered barbarian authority. As such, fighting quickly broke out, And it forced the suavey to balance in a delicate position, as the rule had to be enforced, of course. They couldn't just allow the locals to do whatever they wanted, but they couldn't come down so hard that the Romans would think that they're overstepping their boundary and would shut down the suavey because of the mistreatment of the locals. So a careful balance had to be maintained in these eight years. Now, the suavey under still Homeric, would try their best and would actually use religion as a good balancing act. The Catholic Church, still part of the Roman Empire, realized that the Swabi were technically the powers at hand, and the locals were following the Catholic Church. As such, the Swabi would use local bishops and local priests as negotiators and authority figures over the people in order to try to help restore the peace, and try to keep the population in line. Now, this didn't always work. There was plenty of people who resisted, thinking that the church was being corrupted, especially considering that most of the Swabee were not Catholic followers themselves. They still held on to their pagan beliefs. But Homeric was truly trying to find a balance. He was truly trying to find a peaceful solution between him and the people of Spain. It just wasn't working, and for the next eight years, it was constant fighting. Eventually, though, Homeric struck on what was needed. Eight years of fighting had exhausted the locals, but it also exhausted Suebi, and both sides realized that something was going to have to change, that a fresh start was needed. Now, Homeric, who was already well past his good years, realized that he could signify this change. That by stepping down, the locals themselves might realize that the Swabee weren't all that bad. Homeric wasn't going to be a tyrant ruling over them all his life. He was willing to give up power for peace. So... After eight brutal years where locals are being executed if caught resisting, where we have signs of the local Iron Hill forts being demolished in sieges, we suddenly see a break. Resistance dies down, and Homeric steps down, resigning his throne. In the year 438, he retires, leaving his son Rekilia to rule for the first time a peaceful kingdom in the last decade. Now, under Homeric, it expanded a little bit. They had conquered central Portugal and western Spain, which had helped led to the issues with the locals, who thought, yay, we're done with the Vandals, we'll go back to the Roman rule, and then, no, you're actually being given to the Suebi. That's where a lot of this fighting had been coming from. But Homeric had grown the empire a little bit. He had tried to maintain good relationships with the Romans, and with him resigning... It seemed that he was going to go off peacefully, and his son, Raquelia could possibly the continuation of his rule, especially considering his father was still there to advise him. Peace was going to be had, this new king, who didn't have the blood on his hand, which, you know, technically not true. He had been taking part in putting down the rebellions, but, you know, he wasn't king at the time, so it doesn't count. Well, now he's in charge, so everything should be good. Everything should be hunky-dory, right? Well, no. You see, Raquelia. Yes, his kingdom is finally going to be peaceful, but he doesn't want to be known as just a peaceful king. He doesn't want everyone to think that his father was better than him because he just maintained the kingdom at its size. No, he's going to grow the kingdom. He's going to make it big once more. He's going to take over maybe the entire peninsula if possible. You might be thinking, wait, he's planning to challenge the Roman Empire? His father just spent... The last couple decades trying to show the Roman Empire that they're on their side. Isn't he being a little bit dumb? Maybe a little bit bloodthirsty? Well, he may be bloodthirsty. Uh, He might have the vision of popularity, wealth, and fame blinding him to reality. But it's not like he's just walking into a trap. Roman control over Spain at this point is kind of, well, silly. There isn't much Roman control over Spain. The Romans are there. They have their governors. They have a couple defensive garrisons. But they're busy with the rest of their empire. They're fighting in the Mediterranean. They're dealing with issues up in Gaul, up in northern Italy. Spain, which, you know, has made them some money, but come on, it's not the most important region to them. That's backwater to them. And so when Raquelia decides that, hey, I'm going to go attack the Romans... Well, he can clearly see the Romans are not interested in holding on to Spain. As such, he marches into Baetica, which is southern Spain, defeating the Romans near the Guinelle River. And Rome, once again, is too distracted to deal with the problem. So, once that's taken care of, they move on to Lusitania, capturing Meridia, which secured the rest of Portugal and then moved on to Metrolia and Seville, capturing it all just before his father passed away, securing the majority of the peninsula and doubling the size of the kingdom in about three years. This is from 438 to 441. In three years, he has pushed the Romans almost completely out of the Iberian Peninsula with very little resistance. Rekilia is doing a rather phenomenal job, no doubt about it. The Romans have been doing a lackluster job, no doubt about it. They're unable to spend much time on the province. They're dealing with the collapse of the Mediterranean, the fall of North Africa, and some guy named Attila the Hun. Again, probably no one important. But still, they're dealing with these issues and, you know, Spain collapsing. Eh, it's just another province off in the distance. They do send the magister of the regions that have been conquered to restore order. And he's to get the assistance of the Visigoths. So he and an army of Visigoths and Romans march from Gaul into Spain once more and are, well, <laughs> they're easily defeated. They're booted back out by the Swabi. Now, this magister, uh, Vistus, well, he flees. He makes it out of the battle. And he writes a report back to Rome stating that the situation was lost, okay? I had no way of... Turning things around. The people are against us. The Swavy are all powerful. They have a massive army. The Visigoths, they didn't want to work with us. They're, we're going to have to deal with them. And then we maybe be able to deal with Spain. Just There's too many issues. And no one could deal with this huge issue. No one could take on this Herculean challenge and win. Basically covering his butt. The empire, again, just goes, all right, fine. Yeah, for now, Spain is lost. There will be no more tents to take Hispania until we deal with these other problems. And now the Suevi are the only power in Spain. Now, Raquelia is not going to last much longer. He will die in the year 448. So basically, he has 10 years of rule before he kicks the bucket. He's going to be replaced by his Catholic son, Ricar who seemed to be a better fit for the local people. This is probably because he's Catholic. His father and his grandfather were not Catholic. They stuck to their pagan ways and honestly didn't understand why people were switching over to Catholic. Rekhaer, on the other hand, is not that way whatsoever. He realizes, A, that the people of Spain are never going to change, and B, that, you know, Catholicism isn't that bad. So he switches over. He then starts pushing his own people To make peace with the locals. Yes, they've made all these advances and conquered most of the peninsula. But you also got to be able to hold it. And he doesn't want to spend the majority of his reign putting down rebellion after rebellion. So the Swabia are to start switching over to Catholicism. They're supposed to interact, intermingle with the locals, learn their customs, learn their ways, and adopt the Roman system. So he promotes Catholicism. He becomes one of the first Christian kings in the German nations. He tries to cleanse paganism among his own nobles, which made him quite a few enemies. And as such, for the locals, they love him. He's not a conqueror. He's not a man who's thrust out the Romans only to rule this place as a petty tyrant, to destroy the people and their culture. Instead, he's a benevolent king. He's learning to adapt, he's becoming their ruler rather than forcing them to become his people. Now, he's not entirely peaceful. He's still ruling a Germanic tribe that hasn't adapted to a nation or kingdom-like state. So, he's leading some raids. He's proving himself as a commander. He is taunting the Romans still within the Iberian Peninsula, which have been pushed up to the far northeast corner of it. But for the locals, he's, he's a godsend. They are so happy he's around. He starts to build better relationships with the Visigoths. Under this new Catholic king, it's quite clear that the Visigoths aren't going to be their opponent, because in the year 448, as he comes to the throne, he reaches out to Theodoric the of the Visigoths and marries his daughter establishing a powerful alliance between the two he then turns around to the local Roman nobles local Roman authorities who were still technically under the Roman Empire in the peninsula and said look you can rely on the Roman Empire if you want but if you switch over to me if you swear allegiance to me you will keep your same ways You will keep your same culture, your same language. Everything will stay the same. Bonus, though, is uh, I won't raid you. I won't tax you. I won't rip you to shreds and treat you as an enemy if war comes along with Rome later on. And this works. And we're told that quite a few of the local Romans start switching allegiance from the Roman Empire to this Catholic king of the Suebi. For the next seven years, Rikar will rule rather peacefully. He's built a, an impressive reputation with the Goths, with the locals. He has a series of treaties with the Empire that will allow him to maintain control of the conquered territories. But it wasn't enough. Rikar was always being plagued by the fact that he didn't grow the Empire like his father did, like his grandfather had done, through war. That wasn't going to fly, not forever. So... He was going to have to go on raids, which he'd been doing. But also, he was going to have to show the Roman Empire who was boss. This led to a series of rather successful, but bothersome, plundering campaigns that decimated the local Roman Empire rulers. And it led to a series of local rebellions against said Roman rulers, because the locals thought that, if they could join with the Suebi, or at least establish their own control of the region, they could come to better terms with the Suebi and end this brutal destruction of their land. The Suebi, of course, under Rikar, supported these rebels, either so that he could take the territory into his own kingdom, or to just decimate Roman rule. But by doing so, he really stretched whatever treaties he had been building up with the romans and eventually under avistus the romans in 455 decide that enough is enough they can't take any more of this way rubbing it in their face about spain something has to be done they have to reassert control as such they send out an embassy to the visigoths not what you were probably thinking but the romans are not powerful enough to deal with what's going on in spain they need the visigoths aid the Visigoths, who had built a strong relationship with the Romans, had also built a strong relationship with the Suebi, but they were perturbed by the fact that the had been dishonoring their relations with the Romans and felt that they probably would do the same with the Visigoths if given the chance. As such, they agreed to aid the Romans, but both sides agreed that they would try diplomacy first with the Swabi before going to war. As such, they sent word to Rikard that he was to back down to end the attacks in the support of the rebellions in Spain or face an invasion. Now, Rikard did not take this lightly, to say the least. He did not like the fact that these outside powers who had been kicked out of the peninsula by his father were trying to come back and trying to reestablish dominance. It also was not looking good among his disgruntled nobles who were having to switch the Catholicism if he decided to back down and accept the Romans and the Visigoths demands. Because if he did that well then the nobles would go well you're a puppet the Romans we don't want you in power. So Rikar realizing he was caught in a tough bind launches an attack in 455 as his answer looting and pillaging the Roman regions taking many of them to serve as slaves within his own court. As such, the Romans had their answer. There was not going to be any peace. Avistus tried. He did try at least one more time in 456 to get the Swabi to come to terms, but decided enough was enough and reached out to Theodoric II to intervene. Now, Theo decided that he might as well, and he marched with a large army of fellow federati, including Burgundians and some Romans, into Spain. On October 5th, 456, near the town of Astroga, the Swabi and the Goth forces ran into one another. The fighting was brutal, but eventually we are told that Theo broke through on the right wing and shattered the Swabi army. The Swabi disintegrated, and Rikar, who was wounded, fled the field. And that is the high watermark of the Swabi. They're not going to die off immediately, but they're never going to be as powerful as they were in 456. The Goths continue to pursue after Rikar. They are to bring him to justice for breaking the treaties, and Rikar continues to flee westward and southward, trying to find a port to escape the clutches of the Goths. Eventually, they capture him in Porto in Portugal, just as he's about to flee the mainland. Upon his capture, the Goths execute him in December of 456, and then continue to rampage throughout the region for the next few months before retreating back into Gaul in the spring of 459. And we'll talk about that in the next couple episodes about the Visigoths. With the death of Ricar in 459, there was no more of the Hermeric bloodline, and the Suevi was going to need new leadership. This, just like any unsure transfer of power, led to a civil war, as the Swabi could not decide on a leader, leading to a couple different people claiming themselves as the new king, forcing the tribe to break up and fight over these new kings. They weren't able to regroup and rebuild, and when two years later the Goths reinvaded, they found no major resistance among the Swabi, and they would stay in Spain for the next few years. With the Goths' arrival, the Civil War, which had been going on for quite a while, just ramped up. More and more smaller warlords broke away from one another and started to raid their neighbors, Swabian and Roman alike, to get the funds they needed to survive. And that's what we see happening in this Civil War that is going to destroy Spain. The destruction is just unimaginable. As the Swabi turn on one another, as they turn on the locals, they turn on anyone and everyone alike who could have any coin on them. And we see a massive depopulation of the territory. The worst was in the year 460 when the town of Lugo is attacked by the Swabi without warning from outside and inside the walls, leading to a massacre of the population. It would become the capital of one of the warlords. Reichmann, who would eventually reunite the tribes in 464 when the southern dissenters lost their most important leader, and Reichmann was able to reestablish control. Reichmann was able to establish control, as I said, thanks to the loss of the southern warlords, but also because of his diplomatic abilities. Unlike the other warlords, he kept the raiding localized, not involving Roman regions and making several important accords with the Goths that saw him receive funding and weapons along with an alliance by the time he was in power. Under Reichmann the Swaby began to establish control over the lost territory as they had lost most of southern Spain and Portugal. The rest of central and eastern Spain was under Gothic control at this point, and they would never get that back. But Reichmann was able to reestablish control of the what you could call the western third of the peninsula. Reichmann would have to pay back the Goths for their aid, and it is with him that we will be ending our look at Swabia, because under Reichmann they will switch over to Arianism, starting in the year 466, and they would lose their what we would call their Germanic culture and tribalism turning completely into a petty kingdom, rising out of the ashes of the Roman Empire. Now, the Suebi would not disappear from the map in 466. They would actually last till 585, having shrunk to the region of Galicia in north Spain. Now, while they lasted longer than the Vandals and were decimated by the Romans, their cultural and historical influences in Spain... Is just as weak as the Vandals. Lasting a hundred and twenty years after we are finished with the Swabi, they leave very little as a mark in modern-day Spanish culture. And that's because they adapted to the locals rather than forcing the locals to adapt to them. They pick up the local customs, the language, and they just disappear into the regions. So that when their kingdom fell, it was no longer a foreign Germanic power that was lost, but a leader and a people who was a part of the local culture just as much as the ones they were conquering 100 years before. So why, despite lasting much longer than the Vandals, why do the Suevi disappear into Spain? That's because the Suevi, despite having several civil wars with the local people, as we know still tried to build peaceful relations with them by sacrificing more than demanding. They sacrificed their local culture, their local religions. They sacrificed their customs and adapted to what the Spanish were used to. This allowed for smoother transitions, especially for Reichman, as he would establish the kingdom and maintain its borders for quite a while. They also did this Not just because they wanted the locals like them, but because they didn't want the Romans or the Visigoths to destroy them. The Swabi were a weakened tribe, and they were having the share of the land for quite a while with powers way beyond their strength. So, if they kept the locals happy, then maybe the Romans won't think it's necessary to get involved and just leave them alone. There are no known literary or archaeological sources to pull from, nor any major cemeteries from the Swabies' Germanic background in the regions that they controlled. We have the Iron Hills forts, the those forts that the locals were using, but that's not made by the Swaby. That was rebuilt to resist the Swaby. We do have small hordes with some notable coinage that shows signs of burial by the romans to hide it from the Swabi, and then later on when the Swabi are in control we do have some coins of theirs but again we have very little physical evidence of them by the way just as a note a lot of hordes are what we get information about for our tribes and so forth and those hordes are typically there because people buried them and forgot about them or they died if they died you know tough luck thank you for your money. If you forgot about them, man, that sucks. You buried all your earthly possessions and then you just lost it. You don't know where it ended up. We thank you, but also, dude, you need to work on that memory. History owes a lot to forgetful people. That's where we're going to end with the swaying. lasted quite a while, way beyond the scope that we're going to be dealing with it but leaving absolutely nothing for us in the modern day. Will the visigoths be the same? We'll just have to see in the next couple of episodes. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I will see you.